You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. We are jumping into part three of our series, Cover to Cover. And I know a lot of you probably missed last week because uh, of, of the weather and everything, but if you did, make sure to get the podcast because we've actually gone through in this series, uh, not only do we want to start this year in prayer, but we also want to start this year putting God's word first in our life, being able to dig into the word, grow in the word. And, and here's what I know as a believer in Jesus, my life is not only transformed, but only grows spiritually because of the word of God. Last week, I mentioned how we need more than one meal. One meal is not not enough. What if uh, to this week you only had lunch one time? Like, I know you'd be hungry. Some of you are hungry and you already ate breakfast, second breakfast, like, like you know, so, so but just to, to get at that place right now and you say, you know what, if I only had one meal all week long and you did that over the course of the entire year, you wouldn't be very physically strong. You'd be depleted. Your body needs that energy from what you eat. Well, it's no different with our spiritual life. Our spiritual life is fed by the word of God, by the Bible, by spending time in the Bible, hearing, not only hearing messages on Sunday, but throughout the week, personally getting in the word of God, growing in the word of God. And that's been my goal through this series is that we would discover and fall in love with the word of God, that we would discover the power of God's word to change our life, to impact our families, to make a difference, but also, of course, most of all, to draw us near to the author of the book, the author of the word of God. And so we've gone through that over the last couple of weeks. Last week was a lot of nuts and bolts, practical steps in how to study the Bible, how to study God's word. In fact, let's start with here. Uh, Ezra chapter seven, verse 10, tells the story of Ezra, who is a uh, tremendous teacher, leader, uh, brought revival to his generation. And here's how he was able to make a difference in his generation. It says that Ezra did four things. First, he prepared his heart. Week one in this series, we looked at the importance of the heart, the condition of the heart, and how we need to prepare our hearts to receive God sending his, the truth of his word. Allow his word to be the highest authority in our life. Uh, so he prepared his heart. He didn't treat the word of God casually, but he recognized its value and prepared his heart. Here's what he did. He first, uh, after he prepared his heart, he sought the law of the Lord. That, that word law there is Torah. It's, Ezra had only the first five books of the Bible, known as the Torah in, in Israel, uh, in Hebrew. But we have 66 books that make up the entirety of the word of God. Here's what Ezra did that we need to do. Ezra didn't just read the surface level. He didn't just take one or two verses, put them on a, a, a graphic on social media. Or obviously, there was no social media for anybody who's wondering. Um, and, but, but here's the point. Uh, he, he didn't just take things at a surface level. He actually sought it out. He studied it. He dug deeper in the word of, uh, word of God. And then he did two more things. He did it. He applied it. See, it's not the word of God I read that changes me. It's the word of God I apply that changes me. It's not the word of God that I hear only that changes my life, that empowers my life, that, that changes my marriage and my family and my relationships and brings me into the call of God and deepens my relationship with God. It's actually the word of God that I apply, that I carry out, that I do, that I bring it into, that the word actually goes from here in the pages to right here in my heart. That's when things begin to change. The last thing he does is he, he teaches others. He shares the word of God. 
And, and you know, here's, here's why I think this order is important. In fact, there is an order here. And the reason for that is because sometimes we're so eager to teach others and share with others, and there's nothing wrong with that, but we miss the point of allowing it first to change us. So have you ever heard something, read something, studied something, heard a message, and you went, oh, I know 10 people that need to hear this. And all along we forget, oh, I need this. Like, like, like we, we hear that, you know, Ephesians, uh, I think chapter five where it says, you know, wives submit to your husband. Like, I wish my wife would hear this. Preach that, pastor. <laughs> but then we don't miss, we miss the other, other part. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. What does it look like when you apply the word of God? It looks like a sword that's not meant to cut off the ears of, the, of, your, of your neighbors, but it's actually to pierce your own heart first. Because it's only when the word of God, we allow it to change us, that it can make a difference through us to others. So don't just start with, uh, you read something and instantly it's on, uh, you know, whatever, social media or you're telling all the, that, that's fine, that's, that's fine. But what if it first changed you and then bore fruit in your life? Okay, God's word only works. God's word only works when you work it. God's word only works when it's three things. When we obey the instruction of it, when we apply the wisdom of it, and when we activate the power of it in our lives. So here's what Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says. And I've given you the first part of this verse over the last uh, two weeks. But, but I'm going to read the whole thing here. For the word of God is living and powerful. It's not like any other book. I've, I, I've, I've read a lot of books. I read. I have a reading list for this year. I'm working my way through. I love reading. I love learning. I love growing. Uh, sometimes our problem is we stop being students and we become experts. <laughs> experts don't grow. Students have no ceiling. Like if you're an expert, you've already set your ceiling. But when you're a student, you're always growing. You're always hungry to learn. You're teachable. Uh, you're wanting to know more. And, and the word of God is not like any other book, though, because it's actually alive. It's God-breathed. It's inspired by God, as we saw week one. The word of God is living, and it does something. It's powerful. And here's the comparison. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. In Ephesians 6, he calls the Bible, actually the word of God, he calls it a sword, the sword of the spirit. So the Bible's likened to or compared to a sword, here a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit. What's your soul? It's your mind, will, emotions, your desires, it's your affections, it's that part of your life that is influenced by lots of things, your upbringing, your culture, your environment, your values, all of that stuff. But it's also a discerner and divider between what's your soul and what's the spirit, what comes from God. The word of God helps you to know what's true and not true in your life. What, what, it helps you discern your own thoughts. Because I, I know we've heard it said in the world, you know, follow your heart. But here's the problem with our hearts. I, in, in more than two decades of following Jesus, and most of that time studying and preaching the Bible, serving in the church, and working with thousands of people, I've seen something to be true. And here's more importantly, I've seen it true in me, is we have an amazing capacity to lie to ourselves. Yeah, we have an amazing ability to not just have others lie to us, but actually believe lies ourselves. That's why we need something to cut through all of the noise and all of the chatter and all of the voices and cut right to. And here's what it says. It's the two-edged sword that does that. 
And it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I don't even know my own heart fully. God does, and God's word pierces and cuts through to be able to allow me to see what's true, what's life, what's death, what brings freedom, and what brings captivity. Okay, so it's a two-edged sword. In fact, the Romans would have, most often, they had different kinds of swords and weapons they used, but the most common one was a Roman gladius, which was a two-edged sword that was used. It, It could be whichever way you swung it, it could cause damage. It was most effective thrusting as a sword, but because it had two edges, when that sword was, was uh, driven into an enemy and re- retracted, it would cause damage on both sides of the blade. I'm sorry to be graphic for anybody who hasn't had breakfast yet, uh, but, but here's the point. It's the two edges that make the weapon effective. And the word of God has two edges too. One is God's side of the equation, and the other side is when we apply that word to our lives. That's when it becomes a two-edged sword for us. That's when it begins to cut deep and begin to impact our own hearts. So three things, I already mentioned them, but we're going to dive into these in greater detail. We need to first obey the instruction of God's word. And even when I say the word obey, there's already people cringing and squirming in their seats right now. And there's usually a reason. Maybe you've looked at obedience as a negative instead of something that can bring life. Maybe because of legalism and religion and tradition, obedience was always something about the rules instead of about knowing and walking with God. And when you actually misunderstand the character and nature of God and you feel like God's out to get you or you're afraid of God, if, listen, where you don't trust, you don't really obey from the heart because you don't know if they have your best interests at heart. So here's what the Bible says. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 11 actually describes why one of the reasons the Bible was given to us. I've given you several through these last couple of weeks. But here's one of the reasons it says, now all these things happened to them, those that came before in the Bible, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, all, those, all their stories, Samson, and all these great figures, Ruth and uh, Naomi, and all, all these people. Here's what it says, now all these things happened to them as examples. The Bible is not just history, but it's history that teaches what happens when God steps into the equation. It was written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. What a sense of like awareness at the moment in which not only we're in, but that, that was 2,000 years ago. Paul said, hey, there is a moment in time that God has placed us here and all that came before was written for our sake upon whom the ends of the ages have come because they had problems, we got problems. They had obstacles, we have obstacles. They failed, we failed. They've they've gotten some things right and we've gotten some things right. But here's what, in all of it that matters is they walked with God. And when they fell, God lifted and restored When they were broken, God healed them and God stepped into the story and then God gave us principles so that we don't have to repeat the same mistakes. Aren't you glad that you did not have to get up this morning in 2024 and invent a tire before you drove here to church? Aren't you glad you didn't have to build your own toaster this morning just so you could have some egos? Why? Because somebody else... Put in the work and put in the time and put in the effort that you don't have to start from ground zero. You don't have to start from scratch. You can build upon what was given you before. And you and I have been given the wisdom, not only of those that came before, but of God himself that we can build our lives upon. 
And it's wisdom to take somebody else's experience. You know how wisdom's been described? Wisdom is when you put your hand on a, on a hot plate or a hot oven and you don't do it again the second time. That's wisdom. It comes from experience. It often comes from our failures, mistakes, something painful. But how much more would it be good to apply God's wisdom? Who knows everything? And so we're going to look at this, but let's start first with obeying the instructions. God gave us his instructions, and, and I know people ask this all the time. I've, I've had this asked of me, and, and, and here's the question. Uh, pastor, or they'll ask another Christian, what do you think of this? And they'll ask a question about maybe some hot-button issue in the culture, whatever the, the trending craziness is going on in the world and how people get their identity or value or significance or what they want to accumulate, whatever it is. Or, or people will ask, is it okay to X, Y, Z as a Christian? Is it okay to do this or that? Is it, and we have all these questions and, and sometimes we'll go, well, I know that's wrong, but God knows my heart. And we, here's what we're actually doing. When we even ask that question, what do you think we're actually asking? Now, I know we all need, you know, I've had people teach and help pour into me, and I, I, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying that there's, sometimes we exalt our opinion above God's opinion. I, I think I've got some good opinions. I'm not going to lie. I think I've got a couple good opinions. They don't come close to God's thoughts. My opinions won't help you. My opinions won't help anybody. Our opinions, our plans, our agendas, our all that stuff may be good, but here's something even better. Isaiah 55 tells us why God's thoughts. Sometimes we encounter and we go to the word of God and we go, I don't understand this. I don't, I don't, I don't even know if I like this because this is what I always thought. Isaiah 55, we could put that up. Here's what it says. God's words, my thoughts, or my ways, excuse me, first. He says, my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your Thoughts. God's thoughts on, his, on my best day don't even, they're so much higher. In fact, here's how he describes it. They're as higher, so much higher as the heavens are from the earth. So are God's thoughts towards us. So on my best day, I can't even come close to what God's got in mind. That's why it'd be silly for me to embrace my own opinion at the expense of embracing God's word over my life. And sometimes we need to lay our agenda and our plans and our ways and the way even we're taught and raised and the environments we're in and the culture we're in when it doesn't agree with the word of God because even though it's what we're used to and we call normal, is it the best and is it what God has planned? Because God's thoughts are higher. In fact, he goes on, this is in context of him sending his word into our lives. He says, for as the rain comes down and snow from heaven, snow's from heaven, believe it or not. Okay, anyway. Uh, <laughs> I lost some of you when I read that. Uh, and does not return there, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Here's what he says. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty or void or without power, but it will accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So God says, I've sent my word and it's gonna do something. And the analogy Jesus is a seed that grows. God's word comes into our life as a seed. Now, some of us are thinking right now, man, especially when we talk about obedience, well, I, I, I gotta perform, I gotta be perfect, I gotta have it all together. And can I just tell you, that's exhausting and it won't work anyway. Thank you. Yeah. So, so, but here's, here's, the Christian life is not perfection, it's growth. Yeah. Amen. 
So it's, it's, it's I'm moving forward in God. I'm moving, I'm growing more like Jesus. I'm help, he's helping me to love more like him. Uh, and sometimes I need his help. In fact, all the time I need his help to do so. But here's how it starts. God plants a seed through his word in my heart and in my life. And that is meant to produce something. It's meant to grow. That's why James 1 says it this way. Lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness or humility or teachability the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But, but James takes it a little bit further. He says, but here's what you need to do. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. So be doers, put it into practice, apply that word. That's what obedience looks like. It doesn't look like just, you know, trying to follow the rules because here's the problem with religion. Religion, in fact, in Jesus' day, Jesus shows up and the Pharisees are the most religious people in the environment. If you're following the 90-day plan, you may have read through Matthew recently, the first book in the New Testament, and Jesus over and over and over was opposed by and had to confront the religious mindsets of the day. And, And here's what happened. The Pharisees... It actually started out well. Ezra was the first Pharisee, if you didn't know that. He was one of the first ones. And they faithfully transmitted the word of God generation after generation. But by Jesus' day, the Pharisees didn't know God. They were experts in the Bible or the, the Old Testament, the law, but they missed the person. In fact, here's what they did. They created their own traditions and rules and added them to the Bible. So they said, well, we don't want to do that sin or that issue, so we're going to add 10 more rules so we never get there. The problem was they added rules without life, and these, this, the Pharisees became the most burdened and burden-giving people in the world. Jesus said, you guys are put burdens on people, and, and you're actually making, when you get a disciple that follows the Pharisees, he says, you're making him twice as much a son of hell as you, which was shocking when he told them that, because they were the Sunday school crowd. But, but here's the problem. They didn't, they, they missed the person, they missed the relationship, the author, and they exchanged him for principles and rules. Unless we think that's not us, we can easily miss relationship with the person of Jesus, which was the whole goal all along. But being a follower of Jesus, first off, here's how we become a follower of Jesus. We put our trust in him, repent and put our faith in Jesus, which brings salvation to our lives, forgiveness of sins. We turn from our sin and turn to Jesus. So, so that's, that's where we start because here's the thing. The only thing we contributed to our salvation was actually the sin that made salvation necessary. So, so we're not going to arrive and go, okay, God, I, I earned my way here. That's never going to happen. But here's what obedience looks like for the Christian, because sometimes we recognize the gift of the grace of God, but then we forget that grace does not nullify or remove the need for obedience, because obedience is based upon love. Biblical, New Testament, God-centered, Jesus-centered obedience. In fact, here's how Jesus said it. Here's how he said it. Well, actually, let me me go back to James real quick, because I don't want you to miss this. be hearers, or, uh, doers of the word, not hearers only, thus deceiving yourselves. Verse 22. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who observes his natural face in a mirror. And for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of, look at that word, liberty. God's word doesn't bring burdensome captivity, it brings freedom. 
It actually brings freedom. So he says, God's word's like a mirror. It shows you first before Jesus, it shows you why you need him. It shows us why we need God. Like I can't measure up on my own. We all fall short of the glory of God. But then when we put our faith in Jesus and we cry out to him and say, Jesus, save me, and he rescues us. We come to the word of God to find out who we are in Christ. And there's gonna be moments as you're reading the word that you go, oh, that doesn't look like what I was told. That doesn't look like what I thought, wanted, or believed. But then you make an exchange because his thoughts are higher. And you allow his word to be the authority in your life. And you bring it under that. And all of a sudden, you begin to experience the life of God. And here's what happens. Jesus sent his word. God sent his word to bring liberty. And the one who looks at that and continues in it, but is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So here's how Jesus said it, John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now there's two ways people have read that. And if you have a New King James version, it, it, this is what I'm reading from. Uh, some translations say it's slightly different, but, but it, there's probably a margin in your notes that says you will keep. Here's the picture. Some people read that and go, oh, I have to prove I love Jesus by obeying. But here's the real secret. And here's what God knew all along and wants us to know all along. Well, we just saying, you can have my heart. When we love Jesus, the result will be we'll do what he wants. So the key to obedience starts actually with falling in love with Jesus. And whenever I find myself growing cold in my obedience or lack thereof, I oftentimes just have to go back to recognizing where I allowed my love for Christ to burn out. Jesus sent word in Revelation to the church of Ephesus that had, they were doing all the right stuff. In fact, he commended them for it, but he said, hey, there's one thing, you've actually left your first love. When we fall in love with Jesus, it's no longer a have to, but now a want to, because now there's a new drive and motivation in my life. I'm living for the desire to please God who already first gave everything for me. Who already loves me so much and loves you so much. And obedience now is not a burden, but it's actually a blessing because it opens me up to all that God wants to bring into my life and brings freedom. First John 5, 3, John the apostle said, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. So, so he gives us life, he gives us hope, he gives us freedom. And we start with obeying the instructions of the word of God that brings us to life. Number two is we need to apply the wisdom of God's word because there's a lot in the Bible that deals with the issues of sin and deals with the issues of freedom from sin. But you know, there's actually more in the Bible too that doesn't just deal with the issue of sin. It deals with the issues of life and how to walk in wisdom. Can I tell you, you can still go to heaven and have credit card debt. I said that in first service and some lady in the back shouted, amen, hallelujah. It was, the, it was like, I almost had to change my whole sermon. You can, go, you can go to heaven with a bad marriage, with broken relationships. You can go to heaven eating poorly and not taking care of the body that God gave you. In fact, here's what I know, you'll probably get to heaven quicker. <laughs> so, so here's the thing. 
God gives us wisdom in his word to know how to experience God's best. Romans chapter 12, I read it last week, I'm gonna read it again. Romans 12, don't be conformed to the world. That's outward, external pressure, change, be this, can fit in with this. This is what the world's saying, you gotta say the same thing. That's, what, that's that conformity. <laughs> but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed from the inside out. That's what the word of God does. Be transformed by the, by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Do you know that you can go to heaven and not experience God's perfect will? The only way you get to heaven is Jesus. Salvation in Christ, forgiveness of your sins through Jesus. So that's why we repent and turn from our sins, put our faith in Jesus and go, Jesus, I need you. That's where we start. But here's what I want you to understand. There's some stuff about how to work, how to raise your kids, how to love your spouse, how to build a business with integrity, how to be faithful with what God's given you. There's a lot in the Bible about that. In fact, he gave an entire book called Proverbs that's all about wisdom. And it's super practical. Like it's a harsh word stirs up strife, but a soft answer turns away wrath. Just read that before you fight with your spouse next Sunday before church on your way here. Like, like just, just recognize a soft answer may be better than a harsh answer. Or, or, or what about this one? I, I love this. Um, let me read it to you, make sure I got the right reference. In Proverbs 15, 22, it says, without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors are established. You know what God's saying there? You don't have to figure it all out on your own. That's why we need things like groups. We need healthy, life-giving, God-honoring relationships. We need people that are further along in some areas than, than we are. I've got people that mentor me right now that are further along in lots of areas of life. But, but here's the thing. <laughs> so do you know there's not a chapter and verse for what house you're supposed to buy? There's not a chapter and verse for who you're supposed to be dating? I mean, there's some... Red flags, like, but, 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 but here's, here's the problem. We, we, we enter into relationship and people around us that love us and care about us and, and, and want our best interests. They don't have some kind of ulterior motive. They genuinely want what's best for us, but they've got all kinds of red flags. And you're like, well, I just love them because they look good in jeans. <laughs> yeah, but maybe they see something that you don't see. Maybe their experience and wisdom can speak into that situation and can save you some train wrecks down the road. What if, what if somebody came along and said, I know that house is nice and this one's not as nice, but that one you can't afford. I wish somebody had told us that with our first house. You know, the bank said, this is how much you qualify for. So we said, great, sign us up. Like, what if wisdom would save us from a lot of painful decisions and actually position us for what's best? Proverbs 27, 23, be sure you know the conditions of your flocks. Now, we've got some people that take care of animals. I have one animal in my house, and that's more than I need or want. Um, sorry. <laughs> we have one. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but, but here's, even if you don't take care of animals for a living uh, and raise livestock or any of that, uh, but, but here's what, that verse applies to all of us because all of us have things we're responsible for. 
All of us are stewards of something. We all have relationships. We all have resources. We have bank accounts. We have all of that. And some of us approach our bank account like, I hope it works. And we stick the debit card in the ATM machine and hope we don't get a negative you know, message. Are, are you with me? That's what this verse is talking about. You got to know what you've got. You've got to know the condition of your flocks. Do you know the condition of the heart and mindset of your kids? When was the last time you sat down with your kids and really got to know how they're doing? Or are we just busy? Are we just performing? How do you, do you really know what's going on in your spouse's life? Do you know the condition of those things that are in your life? That's what this verse is talking about. And so we've got to know the state of things around us and what we, we in fact, Proverbs 21.5, just one more. Uh, the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty. That means we're careful, thoughtful, intentional about our decisions. And I would, I would say we submit them first in, to God in prayer. But those of everyone who's hasty, why would somebody be hasty? Well, sometimes we're hasty because of worry. Fear, I gotta make something happen. I gotta do something. I'm never gonna find the right person, so I'm gonna settle for, all my friends are married, but I'm not married yet, so I gotta be hasty. I've I've gotta take a job that I know is gonna hurt my family, but it pays more. Do you know what that verse says? It says, in the long run, here's what happens. The plans of the hasty surely leap to poverty. Number three, the last one is we need to activate the power of God's word. It's, we, we obey God's instruction. We apply the wisdom of God's word. Why? Because we want the good, perfect, and pleasing will of God. We want God's best. I want to know what God's word has to say because I want to know what he has planned and what is perfect. What's so much higher than I can come up with on my best day. Do you know what else? We need to cause the Word of God to be activated. And here's what I mean by activated. I'll, I'll give you some Bible in just a moment. But, but here's what I mean by activated. When you got into your car this morning, uh, you, you put the key in the ignition, you turned it, and it turned over, and the engine began combustion, pro, the p- process of combustion. Uh, that did not happen to me on Sunday morning last week. Uh, but, but here was the best part. Tuesday, when things got a little bit warmer, I fired it up. I felt like there was a resurrection in my driveway. It was amazing. Uh, I was like, yes, it still works. Um, but, but here's, <laughs> here's what we need to recognize. Some of us have the engine. We have the car. We have all the parts that we should have as a Christian. We have all the principles. We've heard all the sermons. But there's no power. We're, things haven't been activated, ignited. And God did not just give us his word to give us instruction and principles. And here's, here's what I know about it. We've got to take it from just information. I know people who are seminary professors that can quote the Bible backwards and forwards, but they don't know God. Forget seminary professors. I know just people that are experts in religion that know the Bible intellectually, but have never allowed it to transform their heart because they don't know Jesus. So we need to obey the word, we need to put it into practice, but it also needs to be activated in our life. It needs to produce something powerful in our life. Here's how I believe we get that. We're gonna start with Hebrews 4, just a few verses before the two-edged sword verse. Here's what it says. For indeed, the good news of the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. Talking about the Old Testament saints that came before. 
but the word which they heard did not profit them. Is it possible you can hear the word and it not benefit you? Yes. And here's one of the major reasons. Here's what activates. It says not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Faith is the soil in which God's word grows. What's faith? Faith is not just religious belief. That's how it's very broadly defined. But I believe faith, as God's word shares it, is a confidence and a trust in the person of, who, uh, of God, of who he is and what he said. So faith in Jesus is a confidence in his nature, his person, and it's a confidence in what he's said in his word. And when I put my faith in him and I actually have that kind of a heart, because there were people that Jesus healed and that experienced the, the work of God and there were other people that were critical instead of believing and trusting and saying, Jesus, would you work in my life and praying? And though there were some that were critics and they said, well, let's see if he can do anything. And they missed it. And that's what this is talking about. There were people, there was an entire generation that died in the desert when that was not God's will and purpose for them because they didn't believe and they didn't obey and enter the promised land. So God had more, but they missed it. And here's why. I believe faith is what activates. It's what turns the key and ignites the engine. It's what actually gets things moving in my life. And here's a super practical way this is, happens. It actually happens because Faith is not just something that's in my heart. It's something that comes out of my mouth. Okay, Psalm 116, verse 10. I believed, therefore I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I believed, therefore I said. Do you know what you really believe when the pressure's on? Usually what's coming out of your own mouth. Come to church. How you doing, brother? Oh, praise the Lord, hallelujah. I'm so great. Blessed and highly favored. And then that car didn't start this morning and... You've got words that are, you've never even described anywhere else. <laughs> because the pressure is a good revealer of what we've deposited first in us. When we, when we moved here in 2020, man, there was some pressure before we started this church. And, you know, I go to one of my multiple jobs and they'd have to scan my forehead to see if I had a temperature. And they'd ask me questions like, do you have a headache? And I'm like, I think so, but maybe not. Does it mean I have to be out for work two weeks? <laughs> And I'm like, we're gonna, ma we're gonna gather, we're gonna have church, we're gonna you know, reach our city. And people are like, no, we don't wanna gather with anybody. And, and, and there was fear, there was genuine fear. And there was a lot of things going on. And at that time, we didn't know, like, are we even gonna be able to do this? And, and I remember what I learned at that moment that, that I've, I actually started a long time before that was what I needed in that, that, that season and what I still need in this season is not my opinions and my feelings because our feelings are flaky. I believe, therefore I spoke. I'm greatly afflicted. Man, it's another bad day. It's tough. Things, the economy's bad. The culture's bad. The government's, you know, uh, we can go through the list. My family's crazy. We can go. But, but here's, here's what we recognize. If you first deposit the word of God in your heart, that'll be what comes out in the pressure. So we need to do three things with that to activate the word of God. We need to pray God's word. And that's actually what I started doing in that season because I didn't know how to pray. My, like, there was no, it was unprecedented. How many of us are ready for precedented times? Like, come on. I've had enough of unprecedented times. We've like, when, when they have murder hornets, that's unprecedented. Like, let's just. <laughs> but what do you do when the pressure's on? You pray the word of God. But it didn't happen just because in that moment I looked up a verse. It happened because before that I deposited 
over and over. And I had what I needed in the battle. And and so we pray God's word. Do you know that the most effective prayers we could have, I believe there's lots of different types of prayers in the Bible, but one of the most effective prayers is when we pray the word of God. Don't just read it. Don't just write it down in a notebook. Don't just say amen to it, but we actually pray it. We, We go before God and pray the word of God because God's word is his will. What then happens as we're doing that is, here's the second benefit, not only do we, or, or way we activate it, is not only do we pray God's word, but in the process of praying God's word, we're reminding ourselves, because I need reminders every single day, to trust in him and not myself. To trust in him and not what life throws my way. Lean upon God and put my trust in Jesus. The third thing that happens in that is we defeat the enemy and tell him where to go. Do you know how Jesus beat up the devil? It happened in Luke chapter four, or yeah, three or four. He did it with the book of Deuteronomy. He quoted three times for the book of Deuteronomy. He said, it is written. I just preached that a few months ago. It is written. He, he held up the truth of the word and it became a weapon to destroy the lies of the enemy. Some of us are allowing lies to be present instead of confronting it with the truth of the word of God. And we're wondering why that thing keeps showing up. When was the last time you picked up your sword? We need to activate the word of God. I'm going to finish with the story. Uh, one day Jesus comes to the Sea of Galilee, and this is in the early part of his ministry. He comes to the Sea of Galilee, and he encounters a, a man named Simon who's there with his, brother, his, his family and, and friends, and there's Andrew and James and John. We know of them because they would later become disciples and apostles, but he's, he's there taking care of what's probably been a generational business. In those days, if you didn't know enough to become a rabbi in religious education, you usually did whatever your dad did and they did what their dad did. You you carried on the family business. And so Simon is actually at the shoreline in his boat and he's taking out the net that they would use to catch fish in the Sea of Galilee. And he's sitting there with the others They're washing and scrubbing the nets because they've given up. They're done for the day. They've caught not a single fish. These are not inexperienced fishermen. In fact, they are generational fishermen. They know their stuff. But they spent all night long, didn't catch a single fish, and that's their livelihood. And they're sitting there on the shoreline with the nets, done for the day. Jesus walks up and says, hey, can I borrow your boat? Would you put out a little bit from the land? There's a crowd starting to gather and Simon says, sure, yeah, you can use my boat. And Jesus steps into Simon's boat. Simon pushes out a little bit from the shore and Jesus turns to the crowd and he begins to teach his word. He shares them what's true. He shares with them what's true. He tells them about the promises of God, the commands of God, all of that. And after he's done with his message, he turns to Simon and he says, here's what I want you to do, Simon. I want you to launch out into the deep and let down your nets again for a catch. Simon's response is, "Uh, Lord, we've toiled all night. (laughs) We've used every effort we have to catch some fish and we failed. We've closed that chapter. Some of us are there right now in, in a lot of areas. I I tried marriage, it didn't work. I I tried raising my kids. I tried 
walking with integrity. I tried and we're just like Simon. I've got nets, but nothing to show for it. I tried church, I tried religion, I tried prayer, I, I, and we've got empty nets. And that's where Simon is, he says, Look, I, I don't have anything to show for all my effort. But he does say one thing that changes the game. He says, Lord, nevertheless, I've been hearing what you had to say. There's something different about your word. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down my nets for the catch. That's obedience. I don't understand it. In fact, my experience as a fisherman tells me we're not gonna get any more success by doing what you're saying, but I trust you. I believe in you. Nevertheless, it's your word, I'll go do it. Peter, he would be called Peter later. Simon goes out into the water with his boat, lets down the nets, and all of a sudden, the net begins to fill with fish. So much so that the net's starting to break and he calls for his other friends, bring your boat, we got a catch. And they haul it to the shore. And Peter, Simon Peter runs to Jesus and he falls at his feet and he says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Like what a weird response, but it actually is very normal when you recognize that this is not just a teacher and a philosopher, but it is the son of the living God and his word produces results. His word changes lives. And, and Simon recognizes it and he says, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve what you just did. I don't deserve anything you've done for me here. Simon knows his own condition and here's what Jesus' response is. You caught fish, but I'm gonna make you a fisher of men. I'm gonna change your life. You feel, don't feel worthy right now? I can change your life. Follow me. And you know what Simon did that day? He left the biggest, most successful day of his entire business career. Left all the nets and went and followed Jesus. That's, that's, that's radical. Do you know why he did that? He did that because his life was changed by the presence of Jesus. And the word of Jesus changed everything. Nevertheless, at your word, do you know what made that moment successful? Can I just help you? It wasn't the fish. In fact, whether he pulled in a net full or two, the success in God's eyes was not the, the results. It was the obedience of Simon. That's what God's measure of success is. Not that we had all the results in the world that people can celebrate. It's that we did what he said to do. That's what he's looking for. Not perfect people but people that simply can trust, like Simon, I need you, Jesus. Would you do something with my life? I'll follow you, nevertheless, at your word. Would you stand to your feet? We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.